Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. And this week, Pastor Dr. David Murphy is not able to join us, but I have in his place a very knowledgeable, experienced man of God who is filling in. I have with me Brother Nestor Campbell, a Caribbean voice, a familiar voice here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. He is the voice that you hear on the Love and Service broadcast. I'll talk more about that throughout the program this evening. Brother Campbell, welcome and thank you for being part of That's Truth this evening. Thank you, my dear brother, for having me. And it's certainly a joy and pleasure to be able to share in this very enlightening program. Uh, Certainly very enlightening in the past and we trust that today will be no different. Tonight on That's Truth, we're going to be discussing the parenting, the topic of parenting, a very practical topic, something that we can all use more teaching on. But first, I want to introduce you to Brother Nestor Campbell. Brother Campbell, can you begin by sharing with us, where did you grow up? I was born in Guyana, in South America, but for many Guyanese, we see ourselves as Caribbean people. I grew up in a sugar plantation area, very rural, and uh, not uh, a lot of resources there, but I found Christ in that very rural place at age 17, and the Lord Jesus Christ has taken me from there to many places around the world. I lived in Jamaica for uh, a number of years where I taught at secondary schools there. And I also have been in Antigua for 30 years uh, serving the Lord. 30 years, you say? It's a long time. (laughs) Yes, it is. Since we're discussing families and parenting, can you share a little bit with us about the family that you grew up in? The family that I grew up in has taught me a lot because it is to some extent a fractured family. I must uh, confess Uh, because my father and my mother separated just about the time that I was born, after they had had three boys before, and then I became the fourth boy. And my mother married someone else and uh, had nine children (laughs) after that. It was a big family. It was a huge family. And uh, I have had many experiences in that kind of situation, that has given me a passion for families in the Caribbean and uh, for 
the needs of children to have to be given to receive love. When did you become a Christian? I became a Christian at about age 17. Interestingly, I had been at school where they um, were teaching, among other subjects, something called religious knowledge. I had also been attending a Christian Brethren Church that was led by a missionary who was originally from Scotland, but uh, had migrated to Canada and married a Canadian, and they came over as missionaries, and they preached the Word of God. And I was under conviction, but that particular day at school, we had studied about uh, Zechariah being visited by an angel and being struck dumb because he did not believe the angel. And when I got home, I was alone at home and felt the fear that if, if the angel struck Zechariah, a righteous man, dumb, and that angel came to me at that moment, it would strike me dead because I was a mm. sinner. Sobering thought. And so it was, and I fell down on my knees, and I committed my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that day on, it has been a wonderful 52 years of living for the Lord. Amen. God has allowed you to be involved in ministry for many years. Can you share with us a few different places uh, different roles that you've been involved in, how the Lord has used you. Leadership in the church started for me when I moved. I was still at university, and I moved to a location in Guyana where it was convenient to get to university. And I started having fellowship at the, one of uh, the assemblies there. And uh, shortly after that, the elder, who was at the time about 80 years old, and I was in my 20s, and he turned to me and he said, Brother Campbell, I'm getting old, and uh, you'll, well, he didn't put it that way, but in my words, you'll have to take over. <laughs> and uh, about a year or so after he died, and I was asked to lead the church, and I did that until some years after I left for Jamaica. And uh, within a few months of being in Jamaica, I was asked to sit in the leadership of the church that I attended in Jamaica, but more than that, uh, assemblies, or various various assemblies, even you know, Baptist brethren, many other assemblies, mm -hmm. they would seek me out because my wife sang, <laughs> and they would seek me out. I wasn't sure whether it was my preaching or my wife singing, <laughs> but I think it was a bit of both. And so we went to many places in Jamaica. I can call so many places where I was able to preach the gospel. I was even asked to address uh, graduation ceremonies at school, one, one particular school, and uh, so many more. <laughs> can you share with us about a little bit about the family, the, the children, and the wife that God has blessed you with? I thank God for my wife every day. <laughs> I told her recently when uh, on my last birthday, uh, God gave us two grandchildren on my birthday. What I, a present. My daughter had twins. And uh, I spoke with my wife and I said, yes, this is a good birthday gift. 
but you are my birthday gift every day. <laughs> I met my wife while I was in teacher's college, uh, where I learned a lot about child development and things that help in uh, bringing up children and so forth. I had to move from my country, my rural area, to the city to attend the teacher's college in Georgetown. And I started attending our main assembly in Georgetown, where my wife was in fellowship. She was still in our teens and so forth. And uh, somehow or the other, we got uh, close to each other. Uh, it led to our being engaged, and uh, we got married um, not very long after. We were completely different. Her father was uh, headmaster, her uncle that helped to rear her because her mother died early, uh, was a full-time minister in the gospel, and completely different from my background. And so with those differing backgrounds, God used us, but she was recognized and acknowledged as a very gifted singer uh, in those days. And uh, I was recognized and invited to preach the word. And uh, we, we got married. She was just about 20 when we got married. I was 24. And um, since then, we have lived and worked together. I've, we've had three children, uh, one male and two female. And uh, the, my son got married. He made a profession uh, once, twice rather. He was baptized in a Baptist church. Um, but he is very much in need of prayer. <laughs> I keep saying on the air right now. Um, but my two daughters are going on beautifully for the Lord. Amen. Uh, the youngest is married to a wonderful Christian gentleman from Barbados. They're living in Antigua. And they're the ones that have had their first birth, twins. All right. Everyone's healthy and good to go. Thank God. Thank God. It was Praise a trying time for my daughter, but prayers of the saints have seen her through, and she's much better now. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. New life is always a wonderful blessing from the Lord. Mm -hmm. This evening, we're going to be discussing the topic of parenting. Before we go any further, I want to take us before the Lord in a quick word of prayer, just seeking wisdom for Brother Campbell as he teaches, as he answers your questions. Remember, this is an interactive program, and as soon as we're done praying, I'll share with you the contact information. We would love to get your questions on this very practical topic of parenting, of families, family rearing. But let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go any further with this topic. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the many, many ways that you have blessed us. I thank you for the opportunity we have to look at this topic from what your word says. And I thank you for the fact that your word is everlasting. And even though it was written thousands of years ago, Lord, it is as practical and applicable today as it ever has been. I thank you for that, and I ask that as we look at this topic this evening, Lord, that you would give clarity of thought to Pastor Campbell as he shares, Lord, that you would allow him to clearly present the material that he has gleaned over years of experience, life experience and counseling and studying your word. I pray that you would give him wisdom answering any questions 
that he would be able to recall scripture verses and be able to answer these questions adequately for the listener. I thank you for the time that we have this evening, and I ask that your hand of blessing would be on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight is a first here on That's Truth. Normally the program is only 60 minutes long, but starting tonight we have extended it to 90 minutes for you so that we can make sure that we have plenty of time to answer your questions. Brother Campbell, I know love plays a very integral part of parenting. Is there a way to quantify or to say exactly what role love should play in parenting? There is and there isn't. There is in the sense that it plays a very important part. Not only that, but I would say that love must be evident at every stage of a child's development. I would go as far as to suggest that the moment parents think of having children, they should enter into a, a, condition, a condition of their minds in which they would have pledged and be uh, determined that they would love the child that God gives to them. Now, we cannot say what that child is going to do or be or become, but the commitment must be made that whoever that child is, when that child comes, that child must not want for love. We must recognize, of course, that God loves us and we are his children. There are those who are his created children and there are those who are his redeemed children. And uh, the Lord Jesus points out that God loves the world. He loves us in spite of who we may be. And in the same way that God loves us, we should have that kind of love for our children. But is that not an overwhelming task for a parent? Because that's, that's a love that, I mean, we can strive for, but we can never attain the depth of the love that Jesus Christ had for the church or for us. But I so much appreciate your, your saying that we can strive for. And this is where uh, we are expected to be. We strive for. We may fall you know, uh, as we go along in life, there will be times when we will fail, we will slip up, we will say things to our children that should not have been said. But always we have as our goal loving our children and, and communicating that love to our children. You know, I, I, I can point out a few things that we would do if we love if we're striving towards that love. For one, we should not only pledge to love, as I have said, but we should also cultivate love for the children, even before they are conceived. The human mind is able to love a child before it is born. <clears throat> Excuse me. This means that you love him without knowing whether or not he will be debonair or deformed. Hmm. Whether he will be brilliant or beleaguered with problems. Whether he will be obedient or obstinate. 
And I believe the way to win an obstinate child is to show him love, not to spoil him. But whatever we do, whatever action we take, the child must see love in that. Let me interrupt you for just a minute. Mm -hmm. You said not to spoil the child, but to show love. How does a parent strike the balance of using rewards in order to encourage good behavior without spoiling the child or falsely, I use this phrase loosely, falsely programming the child to obey only to get rewards and not for the sake of obedience. What advice would you give to how to strike that balance there? You know, the psalmist says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has put in us the spirit. We are made in the likeness of God. And somehow that spirit within us can detect sincerity and, uh, and pretense. If we are sincere in what we do towards our children, they would, they would appreciate that. And they would not want to deceive us. Now, if we're not sincere, if we just, you know, we read in a book somewhere uh, that, you know, you, you offer rewards for good behavior and so on, and so you're doing it, it's like bribing the child. Right, you might yeah. say. that's a good brief way of saying it. <laughs> and the child can, can detect that, and they can play you or play their parent for the game that the parent started. Um, but if there is genuineness and sincerity and real love, the child will appreciate that. Because remember, what a troubled child wants and needs and desires is affection of a mother and the love of a father. Is there a way to give love to a child without giving of one's time? Oh, I don't see how that could be because if you are if you love your child you will make time for your child you know recently we had uh, a brother who pointed out that he was so busy he had no time to read the word of god and i had to minister to him and to say if you love god you won't just find the time you'll make time because if you try to find the time there are so many things that are filling up the time that you have, you won't find. But because God is important in your life, you make time. Similarly, because our children are important, if we really love our children, we will make time. We will timetable, you know, quality time to show our children love. And I say to show our children love because of how we should be relating to them. We should be relating to them. I, I, I probably it will probably come up a little later in our discussion, but we should relate to them in conversation. We should have good quality family time, in which we are able to laugh with our children, in which we tell stories and listen to their stories. But that that time is pretty, very much important. Doing things together. You're listening to That's Truth, and this evening we have here on the program Brother Nestor Campbell. He is the voice. If you're listening and you're saying, I recognize that voice, you are right. You recognize it from the broadcast, Love and Service. I'll share the times with you later in the program. 
But Brother Campbell, what are some other ways that love is illustrated in the parenting relationship? One is gratitude to God for your child. If a, ch- if a parent can be grateful to God for his child, he is going to love that child. He will see that child as a gift, a precious gift. I remember in Jamaica where there was uh, a mother who had a child that was challenged. And she went and did a whole course. She got a master's in dealing with challenged children so that she could attend to her child. Wow. And uh, she was a testimony in the community, so much so that other parents with that problem went to her to get help for their children. And uh, I think that she did that because she saw that this, this, this child that was disabled in some ways was a gift of God to her to offer her an opportunity not only to help this disabled child, but to help other homes where there were disabled children. Brother Campbell, let me inter- or interrupt you for just a minute here. We have a question that has come in from a listener in Antigua. The question is, how can favoritism affect a child or children in the family? Or should favoritism take place in the heart of parents toward a child? While you are gathering your thoughts, let me just... I've often wondered this myself. It's, it's natural for us to be drawn to individuals who share similar likes and similar dislikes. And it would be a natural phenomenon for a parent to be drawn to their particular child who has shares the most in common with them. So what is the role of favoritism? Should there be favoritism? And how should it be avoided? No. It is pretty obvious that favoritism is a no-no in any family. But from my experience, and I've had to counsel people on this, in my experience, there are people who practice favoritism without recognizing that they did. And um, I remember, it's difficult for me to give illustrations. (laughs) But let us take a case where... um, A mother has a child who has some medical issues, and she is going to take extra care of that child, pay that child a lot of attention. In paying that child the attention, and I've seen this in more families than one, uh, in paying attention to that child, she forgets that the other one that is healthy, hale and healthy, needs affection as well. So for legitimate reasons, she is showing favoritism. To her, it's not favoritism, or to the father, it's not favoritism. But to the other child that is, not, that is missing out on the affection and the attention, it is favoritism. And I have known of cases where that other child has turned out to be a rebellious against their parents in later days. And I remember speaking with one child to try to help him after he had grown up. And he pointed out, I had seen him growing up, and I had known the problem. And he pointed out 
that he never felt loved in his family. So it is not just favoritism that is deliberate, but it is the favoritism that uh, may be committed without the parent being aware of it. So we need to be careful. How do we avoid it? Well, look at some of the causes for favoritism. In Jamaica, I experienced this. In Antigua, I've experienced this as well. I may have experienced it in Guyana, I'm sure. But um, there is the tendency to favor the child that is fairer in complexion. You have two children, and one is slightly fairer than the other, and you favor the one. So they're, they're mistaking complexion for character. You know, and uh, they need to be aware of this. And the, the way they speak, I, I know somebody, I've been trying to hint to that person in recent times <laughs> that you have to be careful how you speak about how this one looks as against how the other one looks. Um, and you f- the, the favor is shown to the one that looks, as you say, more like us or more the way we want them to look. And the others are left to feel that, well, they are of lesser worth than, than the other. Um, that is not the way it should be. And I, I characterize the way we display love is the, the, is the way God displays it to us in this day of grace. Some persons will look back in the Old Testament and Esau and Jacob, you know, uh, Esau have I hated, Jacob have I loved, and um, and uh, apply that to modern days. But in the day of grace, Jesus says, God so loved the world. And that is very important. I think we should love our children. We should be very careful not to put one above the other. Is it ever appropriate to discuss a your child's behavior in front of them or in front in public in relation to maybe something that they did that was disobedient uh, a week ago or a year ago? Is that ever appropriate? Uh, no, it shouldn't be, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I won't. I don't know the. That the the word I would use is it effective? Okay. Um, it is important that the child should feel that your reprimand, your counseling, is in his interest. But if on the, the spur of the moment, or at the time when the offense is committed, in front of his friends maybe, or in front of visitors, we scold the child and we do things that embarrasses the child the child will feel, will recognize that we are more, we are reacting to our own feelings. You know, we are embarrassed, we are ashamed, and we want to put him down in front of others or to show others that, well, I'm strict and I deal with that. And uh, as a result of that, the child is put down, the child is embarrassed, and uh, the child stores in his mind the feeling that he is not loved, that his feelings don't matter, and uh, that all that mattered was that the mom or dad had to get some kind of uh, outlet for their anger. Now, the child stores that up, and, and that can build up 
because of, if it's repeated. And it becomes uh, counterproductive. You know? So it certainly is not an effective way. But when we take the child aside or wait for an appropriate moment, okay, John, I'll deal with that later, and we call that child aside, that child sees that you are controlling yourself so as not to embarrass him. And therefore, you must have some feeling for his own feelings to do that. And the child will then respond much better to the counseling that he will receive in a private situation, even though it was for a public event. The voice that you're hearing is that of Brother Nestor Campbell. He is filling in for Pastor David Murphy as he is unable to be here this evening. You're listening to the program That's Truth. It is a live call-in program here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We would love to have you contact Brother Campbell with any questions that you have. He's covering the topic of parenting this evening. We still have one hour left in the program. Brother Campbell, you were sharing some ways that love plays a role in parenting. What is the? What are some other ways that love plays a role? Love is recognizing that your child is and will always be an individual holding a unique place in the world. There is therefore none exactly like him or her. And I would say him just uh, in the general sense to avoid awkward sentences. Right. But there never was and never will be anyone like your child. That child has a purpose that God designed for him. And your role, because you love God and because you love that child, is to help that child fulfill the divine purpose for which he was created. Love is what will help you to recognize this and to do it. Love for, to God because you're grateful to God for giving you the child. And love for the child because he has a role to play. I would suggest, therefore, that uh, one should never be tempted to compare your child with anyone else, with anybody's child or children. Even with a sibling? Even with a sibling. Whether it be another child within the family or with a child next door. Do not boast about your child or ever make an expression of regret about your child. It is demeaning to the child. It may fill him with feelings of superiority if you're boasting about him, and that's not healthy. Uh, it may even cause him to have the need to act superior to others because I am not like other children are, you know, that sort of thing. I'm not as other men are. On the other hand, negative impressions about himself and about his parents' thoughts about him can also be fed from comparing your child with uh, another child. Love for your child will prevent you from hurting and harming your child by comparing him with others. I, I, if I may add uh, also that um, 
Brother Nathan, that do, we, we should do our best to understand the process of child development. Because very often we, pr- we, we punish children for things that are natural to them. Okay. <laughs> very recently I had an encounter with a very bright child, and I, you wouldn't believe that she is the age she is. But she was reprimanded for moving around and so forth, and she should sit in one place. Now, many parents think that that's what should happen. And the young lady sat down, and not a young lady, I can tell you, she hasn't even started in uh, primary school yet. (laughs) She's that young. (laughs) And she whispered, and she said, I don't like to sit down. (laughs) I like to move around. (laughs) And I said to myself, I, as a young teacher, my profession was, my first profession was teaching, I was trained that even when a baby is moving its hand around, and I look at my two grandchildren who are one month old today, and they are moving and kicking their feet and so forth. And I know that it's not that they're trying to get their parents' attention. It's a natural process that helps in muscle development, voice development, in their shouting and their screaming. And later they will be walking around and they'll be doing things because that is part of the development process. You know, they'll speak of the troublesome two and... Yeah, <laughs> terrible the, twos. The terrible two and the fantastic four and, and the, what, you know. But the thing is that at different stages, various parts of their bodies and their minds are developing. And as parents... We need to skip, to spend time understanding these things so that we uh, don't punish our children for what is natural development. Love will not allow us to do that. We have another WhatsApp question that has come in from Antigua. Thank you to the individual who sent it. What are some ways for parents to encourage children to contribute to the home that will be beneficial to them later on? I wonder what age group that uh, that um, questioner has in mind, that listener has in mind. But thanks for the question. Um, it is important, as I, I have an illustration here. I remember when one of my little sisters, I was about 10 years old, and my little sister was just beginning to uh, hold hand and walk before she could walk on her own and we were trying to encourage her to walk on her own and so my mother gave her something that she liked and she said take it to another person who was nearby and uh, he will give you a piece of it and she loosed off and walked across <laughs> the floor to that other person so even as a toddler she was given a task you know, she was learning that she could do things, yeah. even at that stage. And uh, I think that the parents should always encourage children to be involved in the activities of the home. Now, I have something that I would recommend, and I say tasking should be age-appropriate. You do not give, you know, if you live in a large family like I had, I mentioned, and you take one child and you 
present him with all these dishes to, <laughs> to wash and clean. And the others are running around playing. Now that becomes torture. Yeah. And that child will hate participating in activities in the home. He'll try to find an out from any such activities. But if it is balanced, if it's well distributed, if it's age appropriate, and if it is done in a way that he enjoys it, then that child will grow up being a participant, a contributor, and uh, you will have the problem that uh, you're talking about there. So I'm understanding you to say that you should train your children to enjoy work, and oh, yeah. then when it, they get older, they will have a much more pleasant life. For those who are listening, let me just encourage you. We have a couple of programs here on the Lighthouse who, which specifically share some advice on parenting. The first one that comes to mind is Brother Palmer with Keys to Family Living, very practical 15-minute program that comes on each weekday. It can be heard at 2.30 a.m. and at 2.30 p.m. And we also have a short program, uh, very practical, though, that comes on at 6.30 a.m. and 11.55 a.m., right before the noon news. And it's called Licensed to Parent. It's just a couple-minute program, and he just shares some little tidbits, very practical. Oftentimes, it's about how do you uh, help to safeguard your children from technology or the dangers of technology in today's world. How do you motivate them, helping with chores and that type of thing. So it's not just tonight's program that's covering the topic of parenting. Let me encourage you to listen to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Maybe you're one who just listens to That's Truth. We are glad and we are honored to have you listening. But we'd encourage you to listen to some of our other programs also, which I'm sure you will find to be very beneficial. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 8-12. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua on 1160 kilohertz AM, 92.3 megahertz FM, and online at www. Dot radiolighthouse.org. The name of the program is That's Truth, and Brother Nestor Campbell is answering your questions about parenting. Brother Campbell, I interrupted you, but you were sharing with us the role of love in parenting. Yes, and uh, love in which children feel loved. And uh, in this area, I would like to point out uh, a few points. A few, I would like to make a few points on the question raised by the listener, the last listener who sent in the question about getting children involved in the work. I suggest seven things that should be encouraged in families, starting from young families. One is we should encourage a sense of humor in our children. Laugh with your child, but never at your child. You laugh with your child, but never at your child. When you laugh with your child, your child will laugh with you. When you laugh at your child, the child frowns and turns away. The next thing that should be encouraged is conversation. You tell stories to your children, and you also listen to their stories. Allow them to express themselves as well. Then there's social interaction that should be encouraged. Have groups and individuals 
around you who share your values. You have to be selective about the, who you would have around you in bringing up your children. And to the specific question raised, work ethics. Use every opportunity to let them appreciate the value of work and avoid the dependency syndrome. Do not do for them what they can do for themselves. Mm -hmm. I would also suggest time management is something that we should introduce in our children because they can find themselves not having time to help. Mommy, I can't do this. I can't do that. But if they manage their time well, they will be able to participate in the activities of the home and still do the homework and the other things that they need to do. And as they grow older, it is important that we also develop in them financial management and contentment. If there's financial management without contentment, it can lead to fraud and stealing. And But you know, Paul says to Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And finally, planning and prioritizing. Because there are so many important things that we can plan to do. It is important that we also prioritize which comes first and uh, which is more important than the other. At what age do you feel that financial training or financial management training is appropriate for a child? It is difficult to set a specific age, but from the point where the child is able to uh, operate in a numbers environment, where the child begins to learn to count and so forth, that little money that you give them, you know, little uh, pocket money that you give that five-year-old, can be a training ground for him to learn that he puts aside a little for the Lord, whatever that is, and uh, that he um, also saves a part and use the rest wisely. Brother Campbell, we had a caller, but no longer there. If the individual who called would like to call back, we will gladly put them on the air. Are there any other things that you would like to share that we should encourage and foster in our families? Well, I've mentioned seven a while ago. It might not have sounded like seven points, but <laughs> I did mention seven, the sense of humor, the conversation, the social interaction, the work ethics, the time management, the financial management, the planning and providing, um, prioritizing. But I certainly would like to also mention some do-nots, if that's all right with you. Okay. Let me, the caller called back, so let me put them on, and we will get to the do-nots before the end of the program. We have a caller from Antigua. Go ahead. I have a question for um, the speaker. Yes. I have a 15-month-old, and I was actually calling to find out what sort of discipline would you use for, like, a 15-month-old if, you know, he goes to the trash and you tell him, don't do that. And I don't beat him, and I bring him back out, but 13 times he will go back to the trash. Even when you tap him on his hand, he will still go back to the trash. So what do you think is appropriate for, like, a 15-month-old to, to teach him to be obedient even at that age? Thank you very much for the call. Thanks a lot. And uh, what I would suggest, as you mentioned, that particular problem of going to the trash, 
uh, for a 15-month-old is that there is the um, the uh, need to let him understand that that's not acceptable, which I'm sure you have done already. The second thing, though, is that at that age, uh, it might be wise <laughs> to put the trash out of his reach. <laughs> you know, it may not call for punishment uh, to get him to stop it. It may be that it is just too much of a temptation for him at this age. And uh, God has given us wisdom. And so I would say, put it out of the reach of the 15-year-old. 15-month-old. 15-month-old, sorry. And bearing in mind that going into the trash has implications for his health. Did that answer the question appropriately? Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. Brother Campbell, you were just getting ready to share with us some of the the do-nots when it comes to parenting. I'm looking forward to hearing your list. (laughs) Well, my first is do not be overly critical. That is so important. And I I think that um, as a radio station that is serving the Caribbean, that is one thing that needs to be uh, looked at by parents, the idea of being overly critical. We should look for things for which we can show appreciation, or you should look for things for which you can show appreciation to your child without failing to help him or her to recognize his or her mistakes. So uh, do not be overly critical. Do not just come up with negatives all the time. That really destroys the mind of a child. Secondly, I would say do not complain about your child to others. Speak gently to him, and hopefully you will be able to speak proudly of him. I hope you can get that point. You speak gently to your child, and the impact that will have will enable you in later life to be able to speak proudly of your child. Do not embarrass your child, especially in the presence of his friends. Do not display extreme anger when administering punishment. Punishment should be a natural reaction to an offense, rather than to the extent to which the parent feels aggrieved. How do you define extreme anger there? It seems to be a little subjective, Uh, I guess... In the, in the heat of the moment, it, I imagine, becomes even more subjective in the mind of the parent. Yes. Good question. You know, in Philippians um, and in Colossians, we are told that we should be angry and sin not. If the anger leads us to do something that is wrong, then that anger becomes sin. We can be angry because we see corruption in our communities. We're angry because of the drug problems. But if it causes us to go and do something that is illegal, then we're sinning. Uh, but And then again, of course, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that we should, if we're, we're angry because of what the child has done, but we 
bring that anger under subjection, our own mental control. And uh, any reaction to what the child has done would be measured and appropriate. Is corporal punishment okay? Um, I have to share about corporal punishment. I, I, it's a something I, I wrote on. I had a magazine some years ago that I produced in Antigua, and I wrote an article on corporal punishment in schools. And recently I had to share that, bring that magazine to a, the attention of a principal and of a teacher of a certain school. I have very clear ideas on that. But what I would say briefly is corporal punishment should be measured, controlled, and never a first response, never a first resort. It is always a good thing to let the offending child know what offense he has committed and what the punishment will be. Then administer the punishment. Never abuse your child physically or verbally. And never deprive the child of nourishment because of uh, the your anger and so forth. But I want to suggest something, and if I may um, confess it openly, I learned this from my father. My father had a rule in which he said he would never use corporal punishment when he's angry. Hmm. The second rule he had was that he would never uh, administer more than six strokes, six lashes with a belt. And in actual experience, I've never known him to administer more than four. And he always told us what it was that he was doing, he was administering it for. And it always had to do with the fact that we knew that we, what we were doing was wrong, that we had been spoken to before, and that we had defied him. And I think that that is the kind of approach that one should have. I learned that from my father. He practiced it, and I think it virtually had a great impact not only on me but my four brothers who were you know, his only children. My mother had more other, as I explained but and those four boys those four boys who are now pretty old men <laughs> have all gone on to university have all been married, have all committed their lives to the Lord and one yesterday celebrated 50 years of marriage. Wow. And you would tie some of that back to the the upbringing and b there being a measured level of corporal punishment. Very much so. Mm -hmm. Is there an age where corporal punishment is? Well, let's let's deal with the younger end of the spectrum first. And I realize this is going to be a very subjective question, but. Mm -hmm. Going back to the the lady who called in relation to the 15-month-old, if a child is, uh, and we understand that their level of understanding is not going to be on par with us as adults, but if they are aware that what they are doing, they've been instructed on it, is there ever a time for corporal punishment at a young age from just blatant disobedience and stubbornness? Now, I can say yes to that, and then we find that somebody, 
some little child ends up in the hospital. <laughs> right, we're not talking <laughs> about abuse. <laughs> abuse. But a little smite on the hand, right. you know, as a child touches that, uh, certainly can help to dissuade him from going back there and doing it. Uh, but that has to be done, one, that he recognizes that it is serious, mm-hmm. but two, that it does not do any uh, damage or cause injury to the child. What about on the upper end of the spectrum? Uh, let's be talking 15 years old, 25 years old, mm-hmm. living at home. Where is that, that cutoff line, especially in the day and age where we live, where there's so many accusations of physical abuse, um, leading to sexual abuse. What words of wisdom do you have for for parents who have uh, teenagers uh, and even older? Mm-hmm. Using corporal punishment uh, for teenagers, for children who were still children in the home, but they are uh, able to reason if uh, if I'd say 14, 15, 16, you still need to use corporal punishment, then there was some failure at the earlier end of the spectrum. And uh, I, corporal punishment at that stage is going to be of no effect. You know, the child has already concretized in his mind who he is and what he wants. So you're saying it may even be counterproductive. It could be counterproductive because it can speed up the time at which a child decides, I'm going to out from this family, I'm going to out from this home, and so forth. However, it could be pretty good. Uh, it could be a pretty good idea, rather than going for the corporal punishment, to have uh, a virtual, a young adult the older adult conversation. Now, I know that I have to be careful how I'm saying that because there are those who will say, as long as you're in my home, you're a child and, you know, right. you're subject to what I say. That may be true, but if it is to be effective, we've got to bring them into subjection with wisdom. And I would say a good, healthy discussion with a child and let them know what the options are. If you're going to leave the home, then... That is the kind of future, this is the kind of future that may uh, await you out there. I love you. I'm willing to have you remain in the home and so forth, but I'm not happy with your behavior. Uh, What do you think we could do together to deal with this problem? Make them a part of the solution. (laughs) We have a question that just came in. What advice would you give to parents who have their children locked into gadgets such as tablets, iPads, etc., although it may be deemed as educational, as opposed to other methods, example, reading books, playing interactive games with friends such as cricket and football, etc.? In this age, it is going to be difficult to deprive children of the means of communication that uh, are available to them. However, it has to be um, done under instructions, you know, the rules. Like today I mentioned to, (laughs) I give these little illustrations here, but I was having a discussion with 
someone earlier today and pointed out to them that the very young girl who little girl who said I don't like sitting yeah <laughs> she came to me with the uh, computer control and she said what is the on and off button which is the on and off button <laughs> and I knew that she was under some manners or discipline from her mom and I I didn't but to avoid her getting into further trouble I switched it on and then she said I don't like that that's not what I like that's not even close now this little girl expressing herself like that so she said what's the search button uh, which is the search button and again I didn't allow her so I flipped it down and then it came to the animation she said ah that's what I like <laughs> so at that age they are into things that are strange to me. I mean, I couldn't even tell whether that was a good show or a bad show. And I said to her, I'm not sure your mom will want you to see this. And I mentioned that to another relative. And the relative said she knows the shows that her mother would not want her to look at. And she doesn't look at them. So if she said that she wanted to look at that one, it's because her mother has trained her in that way. I think that what we would need to do then is to make sure that our children understand the uh, benefits of these, the social media and so forth, and where we cut off, or the kind of shows that they would look at, should look at, and those that they should not look at. If I might just say a quick word on that too here, a thought that I jotted down, it says, communication media should be explained and introduced as tools of learning with an entertainment component that is necessary because learning is fun. However, they should be taught about the harm that can be created by the misuse of these media. So, maybe a difficult question, but I think a very practical question. You have a 10-year-old. I'm just choosing that number. You have a 10-year-old who is wanting to use the computer uh, to look up, let's say, cricket scores. Now, obviously, there are dangers on the Internet. Uh, pornography, we've covered that topic on That's Truth. You can't explain all the dangers of pornography to a 10-year-old. So how do you how do you explain the dangers of a media medium without stepping ahead of where that child's, of course, in today's day and age, a 10-year-old has probably already been exposed to much beyond what we would care to admit. Mm -hmm. But how, where's that fine line of, of explaining dangers but not going beyond what we need to? There are some causes that are lost at the time when they're recognized as a problem. And uh, the, what we have to do then is to look for those that are not lost. And uh, in the case of that 10-year-old where the parent cannot say to the child, this is bad because it is bad, and the child trusts the judgment of the parent and say, I'm not going to look at that because my mother really cares about me, and if she says it's bad... It's very bad, and I'm not going to look at it. Now, that trust would have had to be earned from 
birth as it were, you know, where the child grows up learning that the mother is looking out, or the dad, I don't know why I keep saying the mother. (laughs) The mother or the dad is looking out for him or for her. And so when that child reaches 10, the child will trust the mother, uh, the mother's decision, and not have to hear the details about pornography and so forth. A question that just came in from a listener in Liberta, Antigua. Thank you for sending it. What advice, Brother Campbell, would you give to a Christian parent whose 20-year-old son is smoking marijuana in his parents' home? Hmm. (laughs) I would wish that we would never have to give advice because I would wish that it would never happen. But if it happens, uh, we have a number of bases for action. One is the legal base. It is illegal. It is still illegal. It might be uh, ignored to some extent, even enabled by certain decisions. Uh, but is the recreational use not not legal now in Antigua? Uh, I I believe within this calendar year it's yes, become it's become legal you know, for a certain number of ounces. Yeah. I won't say a number because I can't remember for sure. Mm-hmm. So if if something the illegal aspects put aside. What advice would you give to the the concerned parent whose twenty year old son mm-hmm. is smoking marijuana in their home? Yes, at age twenty, the child can definitely decide whether he wants to stay in the home and uh, conform to the rules, basic rules. And it would not be unreasonable for a parent to say, "I don't want this in my house." So it. Um, it comes down to being firm. You know, you discuss it, let the child know, I love you, I really would love, love to have you with me, but you have to conform to this. And you would call that love? I would call it love, yes. Okay. Because if we allow the child to go in on the wrong way, right. it was going to move from marijuana to maybe another M word that I won't call on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> I... I I agree with you that it is love. I just, I've had discussions with people that would say ever encouraging or ever drawing such a firm line to where the child has to decide between staying or leaving, how could that ever be love? But the world's definition of love has gotten so twisted and confused. You're listening to That's Truth. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua. On 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and you can encourage people to listen anywhere in the world at www.radiolighthouse.org. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 837, and Brother Nestor Campbell is here answering your questions about parenting. You maybe have just tuned in and you're saying, I thought uh, Pastor Murphy was the one that usually answered the questions. He was unable to be here this evening, but Brother Campbell, a very knowledgeable, experienced man of God, is here answering your questions about the topic of parenting. Brother Campbell, what would you say is the biggest challenge facing families in the Caribbean? If it's possible to narrow that down to one thing. One thing, yes. I have gone around... uh, homes and 
tried to help with children. Uh, let me explain that. You know, some years ago I started what was called a fun club. And the reason why I started that fun club was because I had observed that children were not experiencing love in the home. They, they, they experienced the very opposite of love. And so I planned a program in which the children will have fun for at least an hour. I bought, you know, cricket gears and uh, other games and so forth and uh, prepared refreshment for them and went around inviting. And we had quite a lot in the Golden Grove area. At one time we had about uh, 60, more than 60 kids coming around. And uh, to answer your question, I would point it out, point out, point it out, or point out the problem this way. I went to one home to invite the mother to send her children. And uh, while I was talking to the mother, the mother turned around and saw her son, who was about 10 years, opening the fridge. And she screamed at the top of her voice, get out of my fridge. You know I don't like you. And uh, I could collapse. I could have collapsed right there. Yeah. <laughs> and... That is not an isolated case, you know, in the Caribbean. It is the communication, the way that we fail to love our children, because I can't say it's a case of our loving the child but not communicating it the right way. It's the absence of, the, of love and the evidence of love between parents and children. And until we can get our children to believe that we love them, we're going to have more problems in the homes. What are some actions that we can take in order to deal with tantrums? We hope it's just the younger children that throw tantrums, but how should that best be addressed? Um, I would suggest that the first thing that you do is, depending on what form the tantrum takes, some it might be screaming, some might be tumbling around, and you know. The first thing we do is make sure the child cannot hurt himself or herself, and uh, or hurt others, or destroy uh, properties and so on, things in the home. So we, we, we make sure that that happens. The second thing we do is move the situation, change the, the situation to one in which the child is alone. Either if the other kids are around, we say, you go outside and play and leave that child alone because tantrum very often is an attention getter. And if we can move the others away, then he doesn't get that attention. And then when the child calms down, because after that he's likely to calm down, we then deal with the matter in a conversation, depending on, again, age-related, uh, deal with the matter, and um, let him understand there's no benefit to it. He's not going to be rewarded for that. And I think that once a child sees over a period of time that there's no benefit coming from throwing tantrums, that the child will uh, Be reprogrammed to not throw tantrums. Not throw tantrums. <laughs> Uh, what constitutes verbal abuse? This kind of goes back to what you were referring to the mother, the situation of the mother shouting, I believe it was a, roughly a 10-year-old mm -hmm. uh, son, 
to get out of the fridge and that she didn't like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, heart, a heartbreaking situation. But at what point is scolding, where does it become verbal abuse? And obviously, I, we would all agree that verbal abuse is wrong. Mm-hmm. So at, where's that line? Well, there's no line. If it's verbal abuse, abuse, it's verbal abuse <laughs> in the sense that verbal abuse would be to say things to the child that are hurtful, whether they're true or not. Say things to the child that while it hurts the child, it is giving us some relief of our own tension. And, uh, you know, it is done for our benefits, the, the, the benefit of the parent, not for the child. And uh, verbal abuse is what saying to the child things that will demean the child, break down his self-confidence, make him less a person, and uh, cause him to be less fit for society. He can become antisocial. He can, you know, become a problem rather than a solution in our society. A topic that in today's day and age is having to be discussed with children at a much younger age than is probably preferred. At what age is it appropriate to discuss sex, sexuality, reproduction with your children? I may shock you in saying that uh, it can start as early as five and uh, it only has to do with the level at which you take it. For example, uh, if you're bathing your four-year-old or your five-year-old, you point out to him the parts that you're now cleaning and why you're doing that and uh, the biological function in terms of relief of the body and so forth. I'm not talking about sex as such. Right. But uh, that kind of discussion can be upgraded uh, as the years go on to the point where um, more details are given and more information passed on. How important is it that you, do you feel that a parent share the truth in perspective before a worldly source shares maybe the facts are true but in a light that is less than appropriate from a biblical worldview. It is very important that the child hears it from the parent first. But in our world in which uh, you have no control over the conversation that goes on in public schools, excuse me, and even the programs that may be there, apart from conversation among peers, the teaching program that may be there can be harmful because uh, we know that uh, sexuality now has to do with more than male-female relationship, you know. There are added components that come into the curricula for various schools. And um, it is important that the parent gets in their teaching. And, you know, interestingly enough, we can start with, uh, with, uh, with it in our devotion. I think that particularly Christian homes, I imagine, uh, we should have devotions. And at some point, we are going to come to Romans chapter 1, and we are going to learn from there 
that God gave up some people to reprobate minds that led to men burning in lust for men and women for leaving the natural use of their bodies, you know, opted for that which God saw as ungodly. And therefore, we have to let them know that that's happening in the world, but God hates it, and God will not approve of it. We have a question that just came in from Casada Gardens in Antigua. Thank you to the individual who sent it. Brother Campbell, what type of process do you recommend when you are really angry with your child and you know it's necessary to calm down first before anything else? What kind of process do you recommend? Well, somewhere in my notes I said, take a deep breath. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that is important. And, uh, you know, I grew up learning count to ten, that sort of thing. So sometimes we do need to allow a little space to develop between the aggrieved, the aggrieved or, or, or the situation that causes grief and our response. Uh, we should also process the things that come to mind heading to our mouths and cut it off before it gets <laughs> to our mouths because we can say things that we will spend the rest of our lives regretting. Mm. But anger is something that we have to deal with because that kind of event comes up because we have allowed uh, anger to fester in our lives and to create a problem, to become a giant in our problem. We have another question that came in via WhatsApp from a listener in Antigua. Should parents allow their children to tag along with them to adult functions such as dinner parties, FET, etc.? Uh, if it's an adult function, then naturally it goes without saying that there's no place for children. And I, I'm not sure what is meant by adult function. I mean, if they're just going to have speeches and share dinner and that sort of thing, it might be a good educational experience. Mm-hmm. Now, tagging along suggests that the child was not invited, so yeah. <laughs> it might be important that children learn that it's not every event that the parents are invited to that they're invited to. What about tag? They give an example not only of a dinner party but also of a fet. Your thoughts on parents taking children to FET? Um, My definition of FET might be a few years late. Not well, (laughs) from a few years back. I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not sure if I know what a FET is today, but I I think when I was at Antigua Girls High School, I taught there they had an annual fair in which a lot of food items were sold and so on as a fundraiser and um, children and their parents attended. Now, I don't know if um, FET has more to do (laughs) with the wild music and drinking and... Carnival. Carnival (laughs) and that sort of thing. Uh, But if it's not something that you want your child to learn and to do, then you should not be doing it. You know, I think that that's an important point that I also made in my notes um, that we should set clear example by our lives for our children because you can't be doing things and then 
selling your kids, that's not what I want you to do. You know, someone shared with me um, when I was discussing this with them. Um, the person is a teacher in an adult situation, and he's teaching a young adult and a not-so-young adult. Um, and the, the not-so-young adult is the mother of the young adult and is putting out the young adult from her home for doing the things that caused that young adult to be the child of that mother. <laughs> you know, in other words, they, if you are going to do things that are wrong but still want your child to be different, it's going to create a confusion in the minds of the uh, in the mind of the child and my my proposal my my suggestion to parents and i'm going to say this generally if you really want to go the right way and to see your children go the right way you start the right way and the right way is to put your faith and trust in the lord jesus christ you can't be living in sin and then asking the lord to make your child righteous you set the example so that your child has someone to look up to. A couple of quick questions. How do you know when you've become an overprotective parent as opposed to just being a protective parent? I think we would agree that there comes a point where you can be overprotective. How do you discern that balance? How? Now, the question suggests that you are being overprotective. Question, how? And the first thing is to stop and examine what you're doing. Because some overprotective parents don't realize that they're being overprotective. They think that they're being loving and they're trying to shelter the child from... Your child might be an adult, a young adult, newly married or a teenager maybe... And uh, the, the the parent is thinking that she is or he is looking after the child's best interest by doing all these things for the child, by uh, being there without giving the child an, an opportunity to experience the realities of life, that these are the things they will have to face and, and deal with and handle. But if you're going to solve the problem every time, then when you're not there, that child doesn't have the, the skills, the, the life skills that will enable them to function in difficult situations. I've heard it said recently that in churches, we've become good at raising good children, but not godly children. How do we take that step from good children to godly children as we raise the next generation? Well, I'm going to harp back at that a little bit because... <laughs> I wish that we were raising good children <laughs> all around. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, scarcely for a righteous man, in, in Romans chapter 5, it says, scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but yet for a good man, some will even dare to die. And there's something that God appreciates about being good. And I think the first step towards raising godly children is to raise good children and put God into their goodness. Yeah. 
one area of, and we've only got a few minutes left in the program, but one area of parenting that we haven't touched a whole lot on directly is the spiritual role of parenting. Do you have any thoughts or advice in the last three minutes of the program in relation to the spiritual aspects or roles of a parent? Yes, I would advise that uh, family devotion is very important, um, especially at the early ages and then continuing. Uh, some people say that children get turned off by family devotion. I've heard different views. I've spoken with uh, people who are Christians today, and they said that they were turned off by family devotion. Um, but uh, I think that God honors. You know, the Bible says those who honor the Lord, the Lord will honor them. And if you honor them in your family by starting the day with that brief devotion, it's going to make a difference. The second is... Uh, to be a member of, having com committed one's life to Christ, to be a member and a frequent, a member of a local church, a local Bible-believing church, and to be present at the meetings with the children. Um, there will be the question, of course, of churches that run late in the nights and children school the following day. Um, I think that at this time, lots of our churches determined that they should have their meetings earlier mm. so that children are not deprived of sleep. Because as a teacher, for, I taught for about 30 years. Well, I didn't teach. I was a teacher for 30 years. But um, the difference is that some of those time is spent in training. Uh, and I realize that children sometimes come to school and nod and cannot benefit from the program you have for them. So it is important that our churches recognize that it's not the in, not not only the, the adults that they must think about who want to get there for seven or seven thirty, but the children as well. And so we have to start thinking about five thirty, five, maybe six, so that they can get home, and get a good sleep. Interesting practical thought. One final question: A parent who has a child who's starting to understand salvation, is starting to express interest, how do you encourage the parent to proceed with not forcing the child or pushing the child to a decision, but also not in any way discouraging the child from making a decision to follow Christ? Yeah, those two opposite ends of the spectrum, forcing uh, the child and not encouraging the child um, I don't know what forcing would entail because for some parents they, for some children if the, if the parent only opens the Bible they feel that that's pressure and um, the parent will have to do what they're doing prayerfully under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God otherwise it will be counterproductive Brother Campbell, thank you very much for your time this evening. Thank you for answering our questions on the topic of parenting. Thank you to each of you who sent in your questions, who called in with your questions. And we trust that the program was an encouragement to you. Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua on 1160 AM and 92.3 FM. Thank you for joining us for today's program. 
We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.